0: Oh, hey, thanks very much for tuning in uh, to the show today. So my guest um, doesn't really need much of an introduction, but hey, I'll do an introduction anyway. This is the introduction of the show. Um, Her name is Edina Houtsankar and she is um, pretty well known in um, the English teaching world. She's got a um, pretty um, well known page, which obviously I'll, I'll do a link to in the description. Um, one of the great things about Irina and, and her page and her content is her focus on writing as well as speaking and, and general English study. Um, because writing is, you know, a really, I wouldn't say undervalued, but a really uh, underpresented, shall we say, skill. Um, and Irina um, finds a way to, to make it really interesting, really engaging um so you should definitely go and check her out if you're not subscribed already to her page uh you've got to go and do that right now so um without further ado um hope you enjoy the show Three, two, one. Irina Lutsenko. Hello. How are you?
1: Hi. Hi. Hi, Mike. I'm good. 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 How are you?
0: Yes. Not too bad. Not too bad. um, It's nice to meet you finally. By the way, this is is the first time we've spoken. Well, not technically not the first time we've spoken. The first time we've spoken in English. So that's something.
1: In English and in person. Well, kind of in person.
0: Yeah, so it was in Russian and in text previously, and now in English and in person. So that's great. Yeah, I've um, I'm I'm on my third cup of coffee of the day. I don't know why I do this to myself. It's completely self-inflicted torture. But I, we tape the show, on a on a Sunday at nine o'clock. I've no idea why.
1: <laughs> oh, I have a very good idea why. <laughs> also, don't, you know you need to re- uh, you kind of rephrase. It's not torture. Pleasure.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's, um, it's amazing how, uh, how often those two coincide, eh? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't have time to do this in the week because I obviously got my speaking club and then I have, you know, um, another full-time job <laughs> that I work. So uh, even though today is supposed to be Shabbat for me, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm taping this show. So um, tell me a little bit about yourself. What, what do you do? Um, What's all your content all, all about? Um, what <sighs> stuff do you teach?
1: It's the most difficult question. Tell me a bit about yourself.
0: <laughs> um,
1: yet I ask all of my, uh, all, all, the, all of the people I work with this exact same question. Yet I'm not really prepared. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm a teacher of English as a foreign language. Uh, as boring as it sounds, it's true. Uh, I specialize in exam preparation, and I have a passion. Um, I love writing. So I teach writing a lot, Um, writing for exams and a little bit writing for, you know, like blogging and stuff like that. Um, I I like to think that I inspire people to write and I like to think that I inspire people to learn English, to be passionate about English, to learn vocabulary, to do something different, to do something new.
0: Mm -hmm. Writing is a very interesting avenue um, to go down because um, I always talk about this with um, Vova from Advanced English. Um, Shout out to Vova. He is always complaining. Well, he's complaining in principle always, first of all, is what I need to say. But more specifically, he's always complaining about the lack of um, material for for writing out there. And he said to me, because he helped me start up my speaking speaking club, and he said to me, uh, look, you forget speaking. If you want to make an unbelievable amount of money, Make a YouTube channel about writing because there's nothing out there. There's no preparation materials, no no specialists in writing. But it sounds like you are are doing sort of half exam preparation, half creative writing. Have I got have I got that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, I was going to ask you a bit uh, more about that a bit later because it's uh, it's an interesting, um, an interesting what should we say, uh, tributary for you to flow down. But first of all, I wanted to ask you the question, which I'm sure is on everyone's minds. Uh, and I wanted to ask you most: What the hell is wrong with you? I'm okay. I'm going to read out a list here that I've written out: CPA, IELTS Academic nine, IELTS General eight point five, TOEFL one hundred and fifteen. Courses in America, courses in the UK, professional blog. Why don't you stop? Why are you never satisfied?
1: <laughs> but I don't know why. I just have this drive inside that I somehow miraculously found, and mm-hmm. I can't stop now. I can't.
0: Yeah. No, Just I'm keeps I'm, pushing me. I'm joking, of course, because I'm I'm the same type of mentally ill person as you are. Uh, I don't have quite as many strings to my bow or feathers in my cap uh, as you do in terms of qualifications. Uh, but yeah, it's it's pretty impressive. Thank you. Thank you. So, if if you have to choose. Cambridge Main Suite or IELTS, what's your, what's your desert island exam? If you, if you had a one-size-fits-all exam, which would you prefer to teach or to, to take as a student?
1: Oh, that's an impossible choice. You're putting me in the, in the I don't know, I don't know. Uh, especially seeing as it was Vladimir who, <laughs> who, <kind of laughs> who made this referral and who introduced us. Um, uh, uh, mm, mm. IELTS.
0: Yeah, yeah. I- Here's the thing, IELTS is it's such a wide spectrum, it's supposed to be able to tell you anywhere between sort of, you know, low upper in- slash intermediate to um, C2, um, but I don't know how accurately you can do that. So I think Cambridge is more accurate in terms of specifying exactly what your level is, but IELTS has a, a wide application if you want to get a visa, if you want to go and study, um, what, what, do you, what do you think?
1: Well, I think actually, you know, it's uh, I've taken three international exams, and uh, my, my scores—they are always, uh, you know, comparable. They, are, if you compare the scales, they—they they are the same. So my score is basically the same in any exam. That's why I think all of them uh, measure people's uh, English skills, people's English level uh, more or less equally. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I'll have to get you on with a, a little a little debate with Vova because I, I don't think he agrees with you.
1: I know. I know. <laughs> You should. Sure it's, it's good that he's not here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, they do assess different skills. Uh, but if you work hard enough and if you you set your mind to it, you will succeed in any of them.
0: hmm mm-hmm. right then. Um, so let's go back to writing, shall we? Because um, what, one of the things that I love most about by by the way, I didn't even say the name of your page. Um, tell people where to find your page and what it's all about.
1: Oh, on VK it's vk.com slash slash I R A L U T S E. It's a very—it's um, just my name, basically. In short, Ira Lutze, and uh, Instagram—I think it's uh, Ira so I R A dot L U T S E dot
0: And when you say I R A, let's just be clear—we don't mean the Irish Republic. Uh, the, yeah. really short for Arena. Yes. Yes. Oh. Yes. I, 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 a- I
1: love Ireland. Yes, yes, yes. I don't want any violence in there.
0: Hey, the, the IRA loves Ireland as well, but just in a more uh, bombastic way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so one of the things that I love, one of my favorite posts um, that you do is uh, Irina's five. Um, do you want to go ahead and explain what that's all about? Because I do a similar thing, actually.
1: Well, basically, I take because I, there is a lot of vocabulary that I come across everywhere. And, and what I want to do is recycle this vocabulary just make sure that it's in some kind of context. Um, so what I do is just I weave them into one story, however ridiculous it might sound. Um, just for the sake of practicing. Um, and uh, sometimes the vocabulary is new, something new that I learn. And sometimes it's just a phrase that I like that I realize I don't use very often. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, yeah, it just basically works like this. Um, the original intention was recycling vocabulary, but then it just turned into an exercise in uh, imagination. <laughs> it was fun. I was always kind of looking and thinking, how can I weave into uh, one story the word um I know lanyard and the word um which is very specific it's an object right that you wear on your neck and something more abstract like um anodyne anodyne celebrity interview so I was thinking how can I do it it's fun
0: Mm -hmm. yeah I, I do something similar when I'm learning um new vocabulary in Russian I will um not so often will I write a story uh, per se I often try and write a poem and again it you know like like your stories you say it's just some sort of silly story I, again you know obviously it's a poem and not in my native language um you know even even more so so it, it's complete nonsense but it just getting some words to rhyme and and you know um putting together some sort of some sort of um, narrative is yeah, a super super helpful way of, of learning
1: yeah and um, vocabulary writing poetry is far more superior to writing this 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 short stories. I, I yeah. Well, I'll
0: Heads just, off, I'll poetry. Yeah. <laughs> well you haven't read the, the nonsense that I write so put that hat <laughs> at the moment. But no I'll only write short sort of quatrains. Um, quatrains for, for people listening who uh, are not sort of you know super into poetry which I, I completely understand. Quatrain is like this uh, four-line poem. So I don't. know you you you're a fan of poetry, aren't you, Irina?
1: Not a fan, but yeah, I do like poetry. Yeah, a
0: little, little bit. Do you mostly read in English or in Russian? If you're reading poetry.
1: Oh, both, both. Mm-hmm.
0: So if you know, um, I don't know if you know this sort of you know satirical poets, but people like um Guberman. Uh, he he published these short um, four line poems. Uh, he called them Gairikim, obviously in honor of himself. And so he, um, you know, wrote a lot in the 1970s and the 1980s about, um, you know, when he, he was in prison for essentially for dissident activities uh, and just these really um, I feel like something I've I've often found about writing is that brevity is so important if you can express um you know this idea um this um really you know sort of quick-witted um concept in in a short space it really blows my socks off when i when i read that sort of stuff
1: exactly exactly
0: mm-hmm. so what sort of stuff do you like to read textbooks
1: Textbooks, yes, and articles, uh, because I like, you know, I always, uh, when I read them, I always evaluate them or in terms of, can I use it in class? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's awful, actually. I, I, I read for pleasure very, very rarely. Um, well, that said, I, I started reading The Lord of the Rings on Vladimir's, Vladimir's recommendation
0: oh my god he is obsessed with that book (laughs) he never shuts up honestly so when um vladimir was was a student of mine for a while and um so we had some lessons over the summer and i realized that he had this sort of mental illness uh, regarding lord of the rings and for like three lessons i didn't need to prepare anything i just said okay Boba, tell me about lord of the rings and he would just for an hour and a half just not shut up about lord of the rings um yeah he loves it he loves it and the hobbit too um so yeah he's um, he's pretty he's pretty fun
1: yeah we'll see the first non-fiction book i've, I've read in years unfortunately non-fiction non-fiction yeah. you mean fiction fiction sorry
0: yeah
1: Freudian sleep you see
0: yeah yes absolutely <laughs> non-fiction
1: so, is all i read
0: what sort of like I, I'm, I'm a big fan of non-fiction as well i also have to Um, force myself to every now and again read a bit of fiction because I'm just I'm so curious about stuff that's happened in the real world and I feel like if I'm reading fiction then I'm going to miss out. Do you know what I mean? So what what sort of things, what sort of topics do you like reading about? About, I don't know, um, politics, environment, um, art? Oh,
1: uh, something like uh, personal growth, uh, success, how to be productive, how to be effective, how to uh, um, stuff like that. I have this book on my on my uh, on my desk about leadership oh you know stuff like that
0: (laughs) okay and how how can I how can I grow how can I be productive
1: Uh, be yourself and pursue your passions
0: yeah well yeah I guess I guess I think it's um my theory with that kind of thing is um that you have so you have a certain input and you have a certain output. So the output is is the results of your work, the fruit that, that it bears. The input can be something so simple as um, okay, when I plan my lesson, um, you know, do I do it on the computer or do I write it down in a book? When I um, get ready for class, do I send a Zoom link via email or do I do it via WhatsApp? Just such small things like that. But if you correct all of those little teeny tiny things and if you get that right and if you really focus on that, then the outputs, the results will just correct themselves. True.
1: Um, True. The devil's in the detail. Yeah.
0: It sure is. Or he sure is. Or maybe she. I don't know. Maybe the she devil. <laughs> <laughs> they. 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 Yeah, no, that's not going on to that. Okay. Um, yeah. So, when you're um, reading, and I'm sure you read as well about, um, you know, um, development as a teacher, as, as, a, as, a, as a, a pedagogue. Um, as I understand, you studied in, was it Pskov? Uh, you studied in
1: yeah yeah, yeah. That my hometown my hometown yeah
0: all right shout out to Skov hello shout out
1: to Pskov. hi everyone
0: um so sixty yeah region sixty
1: what can you say it again
0: region number 60.
1: 60 yeah yeah wow <laughs> <laughs> I
0: <It's>, uh, <laughs> didn't
1: even understand it because <laughs> I didn't I, you know these region numbers by heart
0: yeah I, I learned them all off but so one of my hobbies well you'll like this actually if you like sort of personal development and stuff one of my hobbies is um memory techniques so mm-hmm. I, w- I would i sort would of train myself to for example memorize a deck of playing cards oh my god and so you memorize 52 cards and i think my record was about 15 minutes which is that's nothing that's really that's so amateur compared to the professionals. some people can do it in like four minutes uh, wow. which i um, but one of the things I decided to memorize was, for no particular reason, was all of the regions um, of, of the Russian Federation. So, like, you know, for example, 72 is Jumene. Well, but that's easy because I used to live there. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, you can catch someone like me off guard <laughs> this way, like a British person. <laughs> I wouldn't know what too many, uh, the number for Jumene is. No, I do now, but...
0: Well, there you go. There you go. Um, but yeah, do you want to know the most interesting number? If you want to impress your friends at cocktail parties with your knowledge of Russian region numbers, <laughs> I'll tell you the most interesting number ever: ninety-four. Which is what? So this is gonna this is gonna blow your socks off. Um, ninety-four, technically speaking, is the number of any region outside the Russian Federation, but under the jurisdiction of NVB, um, of Russia, which means uh, the only region that falls under yeah. that is Baikonur. Because Baikonur is technically in Kazakhstan, but it's controlled by Russia. So any sort of trucks or stuff or cars that are registered to Baikonur will be number 94.
1: I see. Well, you know what? You, <laughs> you sound like Sheldon. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What? Annoying?
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. A treasure trove of um, interesting
0: facts. Yeah, I think you mean useless facts. But uh, <laughs> yes, thank, thank you very much. I guess. <laughs> so, um, reading about, um, as I say, about um, personal development and, and you know being being a good teacher. What if you had to summarize it? What for you makes a good teacher? Uh,
1: a good teacher has their students' best interests in mind, and they, they, they really listen to what their students need and they pay close attention to what their students need. Um, because sometimes teachers, you know, they, they uh, go to a seminar, they read a book, uh, I don't know, the, you know, the lexical approach, and they become obsessed with something they read, they totally forget about the students' needs. And they try to apply something that's not really applicable in a certain situation, uh, because no approach, uh, no seminar, I no, you know no, no method is a, you know the, the end in itself and the ultimate good. So I think mm-hmm. this is what a good teacher is. Yeah,
0: I think sometimes um, an, an over an overdependence on methodology can be um, you know just like like putting a stick in your bicycle spokes um that's to say it trips you up um yeah i tell me about the lexical approach i have never used it are you a fan
1: um well it sounds good (laughs) in theory in practice i I don't know much about it to be honest i have a confession to make i'm not a specialist on the lexical approach Mm -hmm. um so i i I don't really know
0: (laughs) that's okay well what's your what's your would you say that you have like one particular approach or you have one methodology? Or do you just, as you say, you 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 plan your lesson according to your students' needs?
1: Yeah, just my students' need, my students, um, I don't know, the 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 areas they need to address, the goals they have. Mm-hmm.
0: That's that's all very well and good, but I'm sure you've had these students as 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 I'm sure all, all of you know, I have and all of our colleagues have. What about when you get a student who does not know what he needs? I would maybe say don't know what they need, but I think he is more accurate here because it's normally a man who does this, who says, Okay, I need to get CPE. He's elementary. I need to get CPE in three months. Uh, what do I need to do? What do you do with people like that?
1: Oh, no, no. I, I just do. Uh, I, I am blunt with people like that. Like it's not possible.
0: Mm-hmm. But don't, don't you have like students who they they think they know what the best way is Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. maybe they're right who knows but how how do you try and course correct how do you how do you um you know tell a student that you know maybe you shouldn't be reading uh, lord of the rings cover to cover maybe start with a graded reader for example
1: uh well sometimes You know, in different ways, sometimes uh, I I might allow them to, I I might say, well, go ahead and read the Lord of the Rings. And when they start doing that, they realize they get bogged down in all this vocabulary. So Mm -hmm. I I give them the freedom to realize that uh, on their own, that it's not the best way. It's just, you you might spend uh, 30 minutes in class discussing one word, and then they highlighted 50 words in in, in one chapter. So what's the point in that? Uh, Sometimes I try to reason with them and I explain why a certain thing might not be good for them. I might demonstrate uh, with the help of some examples. Um, And sometimes I just um, say no to people like that. If if they don't have a specific goal and I talk to them a little in Mm. messages and then I might say, no, I'm not your teacher.
0: Mm. Okay, pretty harsh pretty harsh
1: well because you know i have so so much experience so many years uh, under my belt so i kind of see immediately that we are not a fit let's let's not waste our time i'm not the best teacher in the world come on you can find another teacher so don't
0: say that Irina. you are the best teacher in the world don't <laughs> let anyone tell you different you go get them girl
1: <laughs> thank you thank you
0: okay um yeah yeah i know what you mean um so As regards, um, so when you're teaching um, a student for, you know, for a particular exam, um, I've always been torn between this because as far as I'm concerned, the best way to pass whatever exam it is, whether it's CAE, IELTS, TOEFL, CPE, um, is to keep practicing English, keep, you know, general English practice. And then at the last second, just just a little bit like that Turkish butcher uh, with some exam format knowledge. How... But I, I don't know whether I've got the right balance there. How much of being successful in a Cambridge exam is knowledge of English and how much of it is knowing the exam format and knowing the tricks and tips, etc.? Uh
1: I'm, <clears throat> I'm not a believer in uh, tips and tricks, generally. Uh, I think any exam, success in any exam is uh, 90% English. Mm-hmm.
0: The
1: format... So yeah, you can master the format in, what, I don't know, one month. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. And again, returning to the the issue of Cambridge versus IELTS, or Cambridge main suite, I should say, versus IELTS, um, do you get the feeling that one of those exams more than the other, um, you would benefit from learning the format a little bit?
1: No, I'm not sure. Well... Uh, I have a confession to make. Um, CPE is really the only exam I know. Um, I mean, I know a little bit, I, I have uh, some idea of what the other exams are, that they're more, more or less similar to CPE, but I, I don't, I'm I not sure I know them. Yeah,
0: they're, well. they're, they are similar. But I mean, so with me, I've always got the impression that um, IELTS is one of those exams where it's it's a lot more about knowing the format than Cambridge Main Suite exams, for example. If you know how to approach an IELTS question, and so, for example, in, um, you, I think you'll be able to tell me, I'm not a, I'm not a specialist with IELTS, but um, you, that part of the exam where you get a diagram and you have to explain what's, yeah. for example, here's a yeah. diagram of a nuclear reactor, explain what's going on. Like there are certain tip, tricks and tips and how to structure it. So you start off with a general description, then you talk about the process and then you do blah, blah, blah. Don't you think that IELTS is one of those exams where you really need to know what you're doing before you start?
1: Not really. Uh, that said, you are right about writing task one. Writing task one is something people never ever do in their general English classes uh, when they learn English. That's why they really need to be. It's it's not about the the you know knowing the tricks. It's more about not being. Um, uh, completely surprised and taken off guard and paralyzed by what you see, by by mm. knowing what to expect. That's that's tr- true. Uh, that said, I'm mean, um, in Cambridge in CB, for example. You have to know, uh, like, uh, if you have a question, write a book review. Yeah. Uh, you have to know what a book review looks like, more or less. Um, so um, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. I think that's um, that's true of a lot of exams where um when you open so uh, task one yeah when you have this picture um when when you open up the exam and there's the picture of a nuclear reactor and you're like oh my god i don't know anything about nuclear reactors well as it happens i personally do because i i'm i'm very interested in nuclear energy but that's you know whatever okay picture of a picture of a trombone oh my god i don't know anything about trombones but then you need to calm down and realize that there's always a way they wouldn't have given you a picture yeah
1: you're not supposed to know Mm
0: -hmm. you're not
1: supposed to know yeah Mm
0: -hmm. yeah absolutely so here's the um <laughs> the shock content part of the podcast um so i wanted to get your thoughts on this um what shall we say um bubble of um controversy that's uh, sprung up that's mushroomed up in the in the um english teaching world of late uh, so i noticed that you reposted uh, a blog post by uh, uh-huh.
1: um, that's
0: the guy's name hudella Hugh,
1: Della. Hugh Della. Uh-huh.
0: um about this, um, the idea of native native speakerism, mm-hmm. um, of, of um, you know sort of uh, what did he call it, positive discrimination towards um, people who are native speakers. So I'm I'm not going to comment. I wanted to get your two cents on that. What's what's your whole opinion of this um, of this issue?
1: Uh, well, <laughs> you have to ask a more specific question. Uh, My opinion is that I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be um, mm, uh, candid. Uh, I do want to sound like a native speaker. Uh, That's my standard, however unattainable it is. Uh, At the same time, I realize it's not possible. I'm very aware that I have an accent. Uh, I'm very aware that uh, I might be using wrong, wrong, you know, prepositions or collocations sometimes. And I don't pick myself up about that. Um, So... uh, I would say that maybe we should have this standard in ourselves uh, as a a hypothetical standard, unattainable standard, but we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves for not being able to achieve it. Um, When it comes to teaching, I think many people have now come to realize that a native speaker and a teacher are just two different things. And that they are not uh, necessarily, I mean, they can't coincide, sometimes but they're just two different things and um, a lot of people have seen native speakers who were extremely bad teachers they didn't know what to do uh they just came to russia for example to to have fun and and uh...
0: yeah I, I know a lot of people like that um and that there's that's one reason why um you know i i i took my responsibility very seriously um because yeah, you're right. I think a lot of the, and I've, I've said this before about in previous episodes about like the communicative method and how I think it's a lot of the time, it's, it's an excuse for people who are native speakers of English but who are not necessarily well-educated, who are not necessarily qualified, who are not necessarily, frankly speaking, intelligent people. Um, mm-hmm. You think they can just then go and, and, sure, you can correct someone's pronunciation and you can say, um, that's not how we say it. We say it like this. Mm-hmm and then give no further explanation. That's why I I take my responsibility as a teacher very, very seriously. I I want to know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I want to demonstrate to my students that, you know, I I, I understand what I'm talking about and here's here's why. at the same time though yeah there there are and there there are you know examples of and i I aspire to be this kind of teacher someone who is a native speaker and who also can back up what they're saying with with the the appropriate knowledge um and and of course you know there there are definitely um russians uh, and and people of all nationalities who also have that level of uh, and definitely superior knowledge to, to mine certainly but there's also as you say, native speakers who uh, who uh, think they can just rock up with a suitcase and and um, and, and a, you know a credit card and just you know start teaching, but it doesn't work yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but this is this is where I think um, Hugh Deller in his blog post were, was, frankly speaking, being a little bit a little bit silly was saying something like this positive discrimination towards native speakers is toxic so it it sounds like a bit like virtue signaling to me um a bit like you know that that's that's silly there is definite there's a reason why some people might want to study with a native speaker you can't call that discrimination i'm sorry but if if you have a, a teacher who happens to be a native speaker and um you know, knows what they're talking about and is a competent teacher. Then, of course, there's a you know, like if I was going to go and study Russian again, I'm sorry, I wouldn't go and I wouldn't go and ask an English person. I would go and find a Russian native speaker. It's not discrimination. You- I
1: think you you have the right to, uh, I mean, to, to want whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, um, I also, I want. I, I think the word toxic is a very strong word because I, as I was reading this, this was very. It's, it's not certainly not the world I live in. Mm. And I, I certainly have not, I have, I have always had students, my students, you know, have always said a lot of good words about me, they thanked me uh, profusely. So I kind of, yeah, it might exist in theory, but um, well, I don't know, maybe toxic is, it's a bit, you know, he's being dramatic. But then again, it's not the context that I live in, maybe in other countries, it's the case.
0: Maybe, I think, um, yeah, In in Russia, not so much these days, but certainly, you know, back in the day, I think the pe- people kind of like, you know, their, their eyes bulged, especially, you know, living in Siberia. Um, when they, they'd see what their native speakers who live here in Chimene, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that sort of, you know, sort of level of shock um that, that contributed towards this whole problem that people would just you know come to your class because oh they're a native speaker they must know what they're talking about mm-hmm. but as i say i i, I think th- there is an emerging middle class in russia the russian market is changing and it's true about china as well about latin america to a lesser extent these sort of growing um middle class um societies where, where russian consumers are, are not going to put up with that anymore them They will see this guy just yeah. rocked up from America has no idea what yeah. he's talking
1: about. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, sorry. I'm going to go and study with Vova. I'm going to go and study with Irina because yeah. they yeah. actually know what they're talking about. Yeah. So the consumers dictate the market. There is a sort of free market society in Russia. So um, yeah, I don't think people are put up with it anymore.
1: It's true. They don't. They don't. Yeah. It's it, we can think of people as you know, kind of a, I don't know, a herd of sheep who just follow whatever, uh, you know. Whatever carrot someone is waving at them, uh, no, 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 they can tell the difference. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah for sure, for sure. Okay then, um, yeah, I, um, I think as well what what this has to do with is um, knowledge of L1. Um, that's to say, students' native language. I mean, I, I would, I would have a much tougher time if i were teaching a classroom full of let's say um chinese-speaking learners or um, german-speaking learners i would have a really tough time teaching that class because i very often i will use russian in the classroom not super often but sometimes um and the the you know sort of knowing Mm -hmm. why someone's making that mistake yeah exactly um it's super helpful i mean do do you do you first of all do you use uh, russian in the classroom and second of all um have you had any experience of teaching non-Russian speakers?
1: Uh, Russian is prohibited in my classroom.
0: Uh,
1: I, I never use it <laughs> and I, my students are prohibited from using it. If they ask me to translate, I don't. I ignore their requests. Uh, I do have experience of uh, teaching, preparing some people f- for IELTS, people, uh, someone from Argentina, someone from India. Yeah, some some other nationalities.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Why is Russian prohibited in you? Are you are uh, some sort of Russophobe.
1: <laughs> no, because I think translation is the uh, the root of ninety nine percent of mistakes.
0: Interesting. You, what you mean, like, um, translation is the root of mistakes. So you mean what people mistranslating things in their head, and um
1: Yeah. Yeah, and then they become so used to it; they rely on this so much that they don't check for collocations. They don't check. They don't even think for collocations. They just think, "I will translate it, and it's fine." Hmm.
0: Hmm. I mean, I I do see what you're saying. I think there's a time and a place to use Russian. Um, it's the, the the time and place is not during speaking practice. So, for example, when I have um, when I do my speaking club or whatever we're doing speaking practice in a regular class, um, I. Yeah, of course, we will not um, allow people to speak Russian because, um, as, as you know, my favorite phrase goes, um, you know, y- your brain has to understand there's no plan B. You've got yeah, to say that Yeah, exactly, say exactly,
1: exactly.
0: But I mean, I, I would still say that so, I mean, I, I love language. That's that's my my sort of passion. And when there's a super interesting parallel between this is how we say it in English, this is how it's said in Russian and, you know, looking at the the stories of where these words come from and the derivation and the etymology, isn't that isn't that worth talking about in class? I think it's super interesting.
1: It might be. Uh, I'm not saying um, like I I found upon translation in my class. because I've seen so many uh um, negative effects of this so I don't do it it's, you know for me it's just easier to prohibit it rather than uh, kind of go into this lengthy debate of oh it was useful in that time but it was not useful in another uh, case so it's, it's because students kind of need this this habit it's just they speak English that's it uh you're right absolutely and different people are different you know some people use uh, it's just a matter of preferences people have preferences in terms of using uh, approaches course books um i don't know online dictionaries it's yeah. just not something i do i i don't i i, I don't want to vilify translation
0: mm-hmm. i noticed as well from your uh, page that you also studied uh, german was it
1: oh yeah
0: How's <laughs> was in german these days is it like my spanish yeah.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. I, yeah, I'm. <laughs> I'm guessing it is. I, I, have a, I have a diploma which says I'm a teacher of German. I haven't spoken it for sixteen years, so mm, mm. no, no.
0: Yeah, it's it's amazing how quickly you forget. Because I, I, so I did Russian and Spanish university, um, and, um, yeah. It's it's unless you keep all of those plates spinning at the same time. <laughs> by the way, that's not how you spin plates for anyone watching the video. Um. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I spent um, my, my year abroad, in my third year at university, I spent in Russia entirely, and then I came back, tried to speak a word of Spanish, and it just comes out in Russian. Yeah. Can't yeah. stop. Um, and these days, yeah, I mean, I, I would really struggle to have a conversation in Spanish these days. I used to speak it, you know, pretty fluently to a high standard and I and my, did my dissertation in naval history. So I was working with, you know, 18th century text and, you know, things from military archives. So, you know, I I knew a thing or two in Spanish, but these days just all gone. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Use it or lose it.
0: Use, yeah. Use it or, as you correctly say, lose it. Um, did you find that studying German, having said that, gave you um you know a a different perspective on English because they are of course um closely related languages
1: not really I don't think so
0: no well I think it's interesting to observe um you know those words which are of Germanic origin so sort of like Anglo-Saxon um words and those which came later with the Norman invasion so when the Normans invaded uh, in 1066 and, and brought across all of their Latinate words. It's very interesting to, to see um, where those divides are in, in so do, do you know about that you know the, the one that pe- the example that people always give about names for animals and names for meats? The
1: example?
0: So this is an example of um, Anglo-Saxon derived words and Latin de- derived words. So in most languages, Um, You know, if you you take, um, you know, take Russian, for example, the word for an animal and the word for the meat that it gives us are almost always the same root. Um, So, you know, think about like, you know, uh, 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 the only example uh, that's different in Russian would be but that that's explained because it comes from which is, you know, still a a good old uh, Slavic root. Um, But in English, look at these examples. You have cow, beef sheep, mutton, um, you know, deer, venison, and so on and so forth. And what do you notice? All of the words which are about an animal are all Germanic, cow, pig, sheep, deer. They're all Anglo-Saxon words and all of the words which are meat. So mutton is from the French word mouton, which just means sheep, uh, beef again is, is a French root, um, venison a Latinate root. So what do we notice? That Think about the, the, the Anglo-Saxon peasants, the working class, yeah. who looking after these animals, of course they use their Germanic words. Now if you are some you know, French lord who's just invaded England, the only time that you have a dealing with an animal is when it's on the table as, as a prepared meal. So they use their French words and to this day we still have that social uh, socio-linguistic split. Which is pretty cool.
1: It is it is it is fascinating and you know the history of the language we studied stuff like that at university yeah it's mm. it's absolutely fascinating yeah yeah. About
0: English or about Russian as well?
1: English English.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I find super interesting is is words that are uh, doublets they call them so uh, I'm sure you studied doublets at university as well um, words that have taken different journeys and then ended up in different parts of, of, of the world. Do you know what I mean?
1: Uh, yeah, I think I think so. I can think of an example.
0: So uh, one of my favorite examples is um poganko. So boganko for, for for you guys is, is a is a mushroom, bad little mushroom. <laughs> um so we, let's look at where this word comes from. So originally this comes from uh Pegus in Latin, Pegus means like field or village or whatever um so from that you um you get this um slavonic root like uh and that means originally meant uh like it was associated with that which in english we say of course pagan pagan so for you it's a mushroom (laughs) for us pagan is like this person um but yeah super interesting
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: in fact, I talked about that in my mushroom video, <laughs> which I did the other day.
1: <laughs> you have a mushroom video?
0: Oh, yeah. i got loads of mushroom videos. No, I've only got one. Um, but yeah, we, we did um, different ha- how to say different mushrooms in English. And um, I didn't know many of them <laughs> because oh. we don't really collect mushrooms.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, are I you learned a-
1: chanterelles at one point it was fascinating. It sounds so beautiful, chanterelles.
0: Chanterelles. Um, you see, Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, Fox Must see. I I would know it in Foxes, Russian.
1: Yeah, you're a tiny yeah, fox. Mushroom,
0: I had no idea what it was. Like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, another interesting example is when this process of two words going it's a along different paths, when it happens in the same language, that is super, super interesting. So one of my favorite examples is so um good old Russian word isvist. Okay, so isvist is a word that has comes from Greek originally, and it spent you know hundreds of years evolving and changing and going through old church Slavonic into modern Russian, and then we get this word easiest yeah? So originally, let's look at where that comes from. The root of that word in Greek is zbestos, and zbestos in Greek means extinguish, yeah. So like to, to put out a fire. Um, if we put the negative prefix at the beginning of that, a Plus asbestos, asbestos, then it means unextinguishable, which you know is why they call isbest, this unextinguishable name. Now, you probably already guessed what's the second word. If we take that word directly from Greek, then we get the the, the good old Russian word asbest. So asbest or asbestos and is are one and the same word. Pretty cool. Wow.
1: It is, it is, absolutely. Well, you see, it's a whole, um, yeah, yeah. Do you often get to teach that? Because it's a whole new field. You can take the, you know, you know, teach a whole course based
0: on that. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, do I often get to teach that? Um, well, I mean, when I sort of, you know, forced the class to listen to me ranting about language for, <laughs> for hours on end, sure. But, um, it is, it is super interesting because, um, you got to ask why are those words so different if it's one word why are they different well because the, in the first situation um, you have a word which has undergone hundreds and hundreds of years of linguistic evolution which is why you know easiest it looks like a, it's like a super russian looking word yeah um as guest on the other hand mm-hmm. we we forewent all of that Um, evolutionary process and we you know we just went and took it straight from Greek so that's why the words look so different yeah now that being the case what you very often find with these types of linguistic doublets is that the 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 first word which has undergone all this evolution that normally describes something which is um, you know quite physical pedestrian um, and which is you know has been used for a lot so you know easiest or lime in English by the way lime um, is, is used you know historically in a lot of you know building materials and stuff whereas um, asbestos is quite a modern technology it was invented what the 1950s so they um you know just took it straight from uh, ancient Greek so you find that the the word which is taken from the language wholesale which is stolen from an ancient language normally describes something more scientific more academic yeah um, And a good example in English as well is things like, um, so you have um, the adjective from sun, could be sunny. So, you know, that's a very old word, sunny weather, sunny disposition, for example. But then if you want to talk about radiation or you want to talk about orbit. Solar. Solar. Solar activity. Sunny Mm -hmm. is an Anglo-Saxon root and solar is just taken straight from Latin. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: These, these divides are very, very old divides still here today.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the same word in English, this is the reason why the same word in English will have several different uh, synonyms like uh, stomach, uh, abdomen,
0: uh, <laughs> belly. <laughs> one of the,
1: belly. One of them is bound to be Latin.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's um, be- because we have so many, um, you know, etymological. Antecedent languages. That's one of the reasons that makes um, you know English so vast in its vocabulary mm-hmm. and so varied. I mean, that's why we can say big or huge. That's why we can say small or little, uh, or you know, or large as well would be another example. Um, so yeah, it's also what makes English very um, annoying for people learning it because a the spelling system is completely kaput and uh, there's there's a lot of words to learn.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's when my students ask me what's the hardest thing about learning English vocabulary, it's endless. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's nonstop. But if it makes you feel any better, um, I have the same feeling about Russian. I still uh, come across words every day which I've never seen before. But with Russian, it's um, I've talked about this before in the podcast about how it's it's um I very much feel it's like a lego language and that um like you can see a word that you've never seen before and uh, instantly understand what it means um which I I I don't do you have that same feeling with English
1: uh sometimes I do but only because I learned Latin we learned Latin at university so Mm. sometimes if it's a Latin word yeah I will know but other than that Guess what? Even
0: if it's a German word, though.
1: German, maybe, yeah, yeah, Spanish, you know, something uh, similar, but.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, fair enough. All right, um, we've been going for about three quarters of an hour, so um, yeah, I think uh, I think that's a, a good place to, to wrap it up on on that uh, asbestos-ridden note. Um, yeah. thank you so much for your time. And- thank you,
1: thank you so much. This was a yeah, thank you so much. I enjoyed it.
0: That's great well we'll have, we'll have to do it again sometime and uh yeah um I'll, I'll i'll put a link in the description so everyone go and check out Irina's page and uh Thank all you. of that uh, fun stuff you do <laughs> writing content i'll do my speaking content and together we can do a speaking writing marathon of some kind
1: ultimate okay. yeah ultimate i don't know something ultimate marathon so that oh, everyone okay.
0: extreme yeah. marathon of speaking yeah. for,
1: for the brave <laughs> for the resilient yeah
0: resilience marathon on ice
1: yeah i wonder how many uh participants we will attract you know
0: i can tell you zero participants. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if you could do some sort of extreme sports version of an English exam. You've got it because, you know, they have that thing like chess boxing, where you do a round of boxing and then you play 10 minutes of chess. We could do like, um, I don't know, extreme sports version of English. You have to do a bungee jump and a skydive and then do an IELTS part two. Yeah, and then
1: write a line grab description.
0: <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, only not that. Please. That's okay. even more extreme than, uh, than bungee jumping. The ultimate test. indeed Indeed. all right thank you so much thank you um, have a wonderful day yeah you too i'll see you when i see you
1: thank you see you bye